Hello and welcome to the September edition of In Conversation With, the Lancet HIV's podcast. I'm Peter Hayward, Editor-in-Chief, and shortly I'm going to be talking to Elijah Kakande of the Infectious Diseases Research Institute in Uganda and Gabrielle Shami of the Department of Medicine at the University of California at San Francisco in the USA. Elijah and Gabe will be telling us about a really interesting study aimed at improving the uptake of isoniazid preventive therapy for tuberculosis in people living with HIV, in which they target mid-level health managers in Uganda. But before we get to that discussion, I'd like to draw your attention to some of the other content in the September issue. In our editorial, we stress the importance of and call for full global fund replenishment to ensure the future of the HIV response. We also have a slew of content in the issue, in both the research and the review sections of the journal, looking at advances in treatment for children, and a feature that looks at the practical application of recent advances in HIV treatment for children by investigating the rollout of dolutegravir in Zimbabwe. But now, let's talk to Elijah and Gabe about their research. Hello there, Elijah. Hello. And hello, Gabe. Hello. Right. Well, it's great to have you both here. Um, to talk about your study that's published in the September issue of The Lancet HIV. Could you start by giving us a bit of background on the co-epidemics of HIV and tuberculosis in Uganda? Um, yes, uh, TB is uh, the leading cause of death among people living with HIV globally. And prior to the COVID-19 pandemic, it was the leading cause of death due to a single pathogen. And uh, in people living with HIV, we know that um, if they have untreated latent TB infection or untreated and untreated HIV uh, infection, they have a lifetime risk of contracting active TB disease of 10% uh, per year. Uh, but, but in Uganda um, in particular, according to the World Health Organization Global Report of 2021, Uganda is one of 30 high burden countries, both for TB and for HIV associated TB. And in 2020, there were 90,000 new TB cases um, in Uganda or an incidence of 196 per 100,000, which just goes to show you how serious um, the burden of TB is um, in Uganda. And among people living with HIV, there are 30,000 new cases or an incident rate of 65 per 100,000. Thank you. That's really, um, really, it's quite a high high prevalence and incidence that shows the, the level of the issue that we're dealing with here. Isoniazid preventive therapy uh, is recommended to protect against tuberculosis. But you say in your, um, in sort of the introduction to your paper, that uptake is low in sub-Saharan Africa. Why is that? And what are the challenges to implementing IPT? Well, there have been several barriers to um, implementation of isoniazid preventive therapy, and indeed several barriers to, to IPT in the past. And we could we could think of them in, in uh, three ways. They are the provider perspectives. Um, so from, from the perspective of the providers, they had these concerns about um, ruling out TB um, and issues about 
the fact that if, if somebody um, took INH and maybe they later developed active TB, they might have um, resistance to isoniazid preventive therapy. We know now that that is not true. Um, and, and there are also challenges around a lack of knowledge and um, about the efficacy of isoniazid preventive therapy. But the patients also have um, their concerns, especially around uh, pill burden, um, taking a preventive medication for which they think uh, they're not sick. And then the 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 other issue is is just also a lack of knowledge about um, the efficacy of of this drug. Uh, but there are also some system level barriers, especially um, issues to do with drug shortages or shortages of, of INH stock. And um, this this really was also partly due to the fact that um, isoniazid preventive therapy was low on the priority list um, in the HIV TB response. I could just briefly add to Dr. Kukande's response. I, excellent response, by the way, and I think that summarizes it nicely. I would I would just add that um, since uh, the COVID pandemic as well, um, you know, there's a concern of uh, uh, deprioritization of other infectious diseases, longstanding pandemics like TB and HIV, um, and that certainly is an added barrier, both logistically and in terms of global focus on TB preventive therapy. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's something that we're increasingly hear about hearing about not just the sort of impact of COVID itself on health systems and sort of priorities for people, but sort of more globally priorities and, and where sort of different infectious diseases sit on various agendas. And I think it's a you know a really important issue that we're going to have to tease out in the coming months and years. In your study, uh, you're attempting to sort of find ways to increase increase uh, use of uh, isoniazid preventive therapy, um, and you target mid-level health managers. I'm wondering, just for um, for people listening to the podcast, if you can tell us a little bit more about where these health managers sit in the health system, what their roles are um, in, and specifically their roles in providing IPT. Yeah, um, the way the, the the health system of of Uganda is designed, um, you do have the the Minister of Health, which uh, sets the policies, sets the guidelines, um, and then they pass this on um, to these sort of mid level managers who are in charge of um, districts, and and they are in charge of implementing sort of implementing these guidelines and passing them on to um, the frontline healthcare providers within the health facilities in their districts. And that means that uh, they are trying to ensure really that um, these services reach over 100,000 people um, that they're in charge of in in these districts um, in terms of health service delivery. So you could say that these these, um, um, health managers are in charge of um, making sure that they, they they kind of bridge um, that gap between policy and then um, implementation. I think it's worth noting to, to uh, agree with Dr. Kakande's uh, uh, note about uh, how they oversee um, districts that uh, we're, we're talking here often about um, more than 100,000 people in a district. I mean, these are, uh, you know, in other settings would be a province or a state. So this is uh, really a large responsibility that these mid-level managers hold. And so one manager would be responsible for the whole district. Yes. That's right. Yeah. And then I guess, uh, you know, can you briefly explain sort of what the intervention was in your study um, and how you thought it sort of might improve uptake of IPT? Yes, sure. We we used uh, an implementation um, science approach, which is uh, based on the, the pre-seed model or the pre-seed framework. Um, and, and 
we had uh, just basically about four components of this intervention. Uh, the first one was uh, mini collaboratives or this idea where we have um, district health officers or, or mid-level managers coming together in small groups. Uh, and in these small groups, uh, they, they would sit with um, other managers that are from districts that surround um, their own district. And in, in these small groups, they would have um, sort of an increased diffusion of knowledge uh, about IPT, they would share ideas. Uh, and this was facilitated by um, coaches, coaches who are TB experts, uh, just making sure that they are uh, passing on this uh, TB knowledge to this small group. But we also had um, leadership and management training. Uh, and, and this was uh, basically passing on business principles in a very simple way to these managers. And we had basically um, three important toolkits that we passed on to them. One is um, Quota's eight-step model. Um, the other one is uh, the start, stop, continue feedback um, toolkit. And then the, the, the final one, was uh, the objectives and key results. And these are really simple uh, leadership and management principles that were delivered to them um, every year at these mini collaborative meetings. And then we had an SMS platform, which was meant to try and ease communication uh, between these mid-level managers and then the people that they supervise within the facilities. Um, and, and that was also meant to, to try and facilitate or ease um, the increase of IPT initiation in their districts. And then finally, we, we had these um, data dashboards that we were using to, to reinforce uh, change. So the, 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 the middle managers were able to look at um over time to look at changes in in ipt initiation within their districts and see how that compares with um the the districts that surround them and this really helped them um to keep focused and to keep going and to try and improve ipt in their districts i'd briefly add i mean we were really excited about this intervention um, for a couple of reasons one um just we thought it was a fairly innovative approach to um uh, intervene at the level of these mid-level managers, uh, in part because of the reach that it affords. Uh, we uh, ended up enrolling 61% of Uganda's total national districts um, in the trial, uh, randomizing half to intervention, half to control. The control received, we ensured they had received uh, the uh, Ministry of Health guidelines for isoniazid preventive therapy and TB and HIV. Um, and then in the intervention, um, one thing uh, worth noting, and I, I think this um, is where this business and uh, you know management and leadership tools uh, idea really came out of is that um, as is often the case uh, in many settings globally, the uh, people uh, operating at the level of uh, mid-level managers are often extremely uh, well-trained clinically. You know they they have clinical backgrounds or physicians or uh, nurses that have experience working clinically and they understand what frontline health providers may face. Um, but despite that, they're often uh, they have not received necessarily formal. Uh, leadership or management training, despite the large number of uh, uh, people that they're supervising and overseeing. Um, so we really felt this was an addition, um, that they, uh, something that would be of value. Um, and as we'll get to when we discuss the results, we certainly learned in our qualitative results that it was a draw to attending uh, the mini collaboratives, uh, not just to discuss the guidelines and, and to work together, which was certainly a draw, but also uh, to gain something that was perhaps generalizable to other aspects of their work. Um, so yeah, we're, we were quite excited and, and we thought it was a fairly novel way to intervene. Um, whereas I think often implementation, 
um, may focus on the frontline clinics uh, where you know providers are seeing uh, patients. Uh, we really try to move this upstream to, uh, for for larger impact. Seems like quite a quite a novel approach that's not just it's got potential for sort of upskilling in in sort of other use in other useful ways. So yeah, really interesting. So then uh, you mentioned it there. So uh, what were your findings? Did did your intervention work? Yeah, I think it's it's important to first of all mention that um, the intervention happened within the context of uh, three secular events. Um, one is um, this hundred day IPT push um, that happened in in quarter three of 2019, which was um, in the middle of implementation. Um, it was a Ministry of Health um, initiative with the support of PEPFA, and, and they had this target of initiating 300,000 uh, patients living with HIV on isoniazid preventive therapy um, across the country within a time period of 100 days. Um, and, and then we also had um, INH stock shortage, and and this happened between 2017 and, and 2018, um, and 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 during this time we we did have very low INH stock within the country, but that improved uh, from 2019 onwards um, during implementation of the study, and then finally we had the COVID-19 lockdown um, in in quarter two of, of 2020. We, we had a pretty um, serious lockdown in the country, which limited access to health services, um, including HIV care and as soon as preventive therapy. So um, having you know provided that background, uh, we, we found that um, there was really no difference in IPT initiation overall between intervention um, and control. Uh, but, but once we, um, eliminated the 100-day IPT push, uh, now we realized uh, a significant difference between um, the intervention and control districts, and, and which really meant that the intervention actually was um, effective. Before we had our stat uh, statistical team unblind the difference between intervention uh, and control, because they were blinded to this, we did you know, pre-specify, of course, we, we knew there'd be a massive effect of the 100-day push just mm -hmm. from what we were learning. Um, so we were quite curious to say, okay, that we would that happen? You know, it's not part of uh, of the trial design, of course, and um, it was a very discreet um, short term push um, with with really massive and impressive effects. Um, but if we could take that into account, if we could exclude that quarter and see how we did in the, in the remaining, you know, in the other quarters, which are there, you know, it's a two year intervention window, would we see an effect? And and indeed, we did. Um, the other thing we we were uh, we pre specified the secondary outcomes included. Um, INH uh, completion rates, uh, we did not see a significant difference between intervention control there um, and TB incidence, which we thought would be, again, we wanted to look at it, we thought it would be relatively unlikely that we'd see um, a you know, an effect on TB incidence in a short time period. Um, and again, no effect there. The, the other uh, outcomes of interest included, though, um, understanding did IPD knowledge change um, and did the um, intervention have a, a, a qualitative perception of effect also among the frontline providers? Like how did they perceive that? Um, and in both cases, we saw both an increase uh, in intervention in uh, IPT knowledge and understanding of the use of IPT uh, for TB prevention in people with HIV, uh, as well as um, really uh, fairly notable differences in how um, uh, the control uh, or intervention um, mid-level managers saw their work and saw the effects of the intervention uh, compared to uh, the ongoing barriers that many of the um, control uh, mid-level managers reported. Um, and indeed, when we looked at um, the 
COVID lockdown onward, which uh, Dr. Conde mentioned is the third you know, major event that, that happened during the course of this trial, um, we really saw persistently high, our outcome, our primary outcome was, was uh, INH uh, incidence, meaning starting of INH among uh, people with HIV. Um, and it remained persistently high in the intervention arm, whereas we saw a, a trailing off in the in the um, control arm, the control districts after the 100-day push had ended. So we, we think it really had a, a longer-term effect as well, um, which were um, is, is, of course, outlined in the Lancet HIV paper. That's great. I think that sort of goes to show sort of classic issues with implementation research where, you know, you have these other factors uh, come in and sort of... You know, you've got your plan and, and things come along and mess that up. But then also the value of having, you know, these other things that you're looking at and being able to sort of, you know, say, we'll take out the 100 day push. We're, and then we've got these secondary outcomes that we're looking at as well. So you can also, you know, still get lots of really interesting information when something does. Or in this case, three different things come along to sort of derail the derail the study. So, yeah, well done in, in getting those results. From from that, uh, what do you think the next step should be, and and how would you like to see people um, use the evidence that you've generated in this interesting study? Yeah, we we were really um, excited uh, by these findings. Really, just thinking that um, intervening at the level of um, this uh, these mid level managers could actually make a difference. So um, one of the things that we thought about in trying to you know multiply the effects of of this intervention is um, how it might work if you if you did um, a, a trainer of trainers uh, approach, so that you 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 move that further down to other managers within within the district, and so we are we are trying that in in the next phase um, of the study, and that's probably one one way that you know this might be useful. But the other ideas to think about is just how um, intervening at this level of the health system, uh, even beyond TB prevention might have um, effects on on other um, important or, or priority areas within the health sector. And, and maybe that's something we, we might uh, want to see a little bit more of um, how this intervention works if you tried it for um, other priority health outcomes. Um, and then perhaps the other one that we thought was really interesting is this mini collaborative, um, this idea of a, of a collaborative being able to um, exchange ideas and 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 just have these um mid-level managers work together uh, to see how they can overcome barriers uh that that are common to them or that may sometimes even be different but you know they can borrow some ideas from from each other and make a difference so hopefully these are all um, ideas that we can see being explored a little bit more um in the future i'd say one of the things we've seen is perhaps a silver lining with COVID is there's been um, certainly when dealing with lockdowns and um, uh, thinking about how to maintain uh, HIV and TB care in the context of, of the COVID pandemic, um, there was, I think, several creative approaches that were taken and people worked together locally to figure out how to ensure patients uh, kept getting the care they needed. Um, and I think the many collaboratives uh, that design really provide an opportunity to leverage some of that uh, innovation. Um, we, we didn't distinctly evaluate that, but I think it's an exciting opportunity when you hit unexpected uh, roadblocks like COVID um, to get the mid-level advantages really engaged and um, empowered to think about how to work um, with resources locally um, mm -hmm. to to really address uh, challenging barriers just at that in that context of COVID. Thank you so much for giving us that little uh, extra insight into your 
into your really interesting study. I, yeah, I think it's a um, really interesting piece of work and uh, lots of lots of lessons to come from it. So, uh, yeah, thank you very much, Elijah and, and Gabe, for joining us today. And uh, yeah, thank you for putting your research in Lancet HIV. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Yeah, thank you so much. Really a great opportunity on the podcast. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed that as much as me. If you would like to read more about the tuberculosis, oh, I hope you enjoyed that as much as me. If you would like to read more about tuberculosis and HIV, you might like to take a look at the systematic review and meta-analysis in our March issue from this year that informed WHO guidance on tuberculosis screening in people living with HIV who are in hospital. Finally, thanks so much for your time. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. And make sure you join us next month when we will continue the conversation.